Hello and welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I'm Michael, and this is Table Topics episode number 60, Mysteries the Angry Way. In this episode, Caleb and I sit down with returning guest to the show, The Angry DM, and we talk about his method for running a mystery story in a Dungeons & Dragons game. And Angry gives his method, and I interject some of my own philosophy into that. Overall, I thought it was an excellent conversation, and I hope you guys get as much from it as I did. And quickly, I want to mention that there is a new review up on iTunes and on Stitcher. It's from Z-O-M-G-H-A-X-X, who I also believe is RPG Gamer Dad, because he told me he was going to write a review, and then it showed up. So thank you very much for taking the time, and uh, on to the show. So here is Table Topics episode number 60, Mysteries the Angry Way. Welcome to Table Topics. My name is Michael, and I think by now you guys know who I am. And as usual, I brought along my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Say hi, Caleb. No, I refuse. Perfect. And we have a super special guest tonight, uh, one of our few returning guests. He actually will put up with us more than once, which is a, a rare feat. But we have the angry DM with us tonight to talk about mysteries and specifically how to run them better. In a game system like a D20, a D&D system that may not necessarily be designed to run them like other game systems have co- have been created to do, uh, Gumshoe comes to mind. But we're not talking about Gumshoe. We're talking about D&D or Pathfinder or 3.5. So, Angry, you are an expert at this. Uh, at least you say so. And uh, we're going to put you to the test tonight, sir. Well, I am an expert at everything dungeon mastering, obviously, <laughs> because I am awesome. So... And in, in yours, the master is like bigger than you're like, you're like dungeon master. Well, exactly. It's, you know, it's all caps. <laughs> Excellent. All caps, 27 on. So again, in a lot of ways, this is going to be uh, your show tonight. So uh, we are the audience. We are at the feet of your greatness. What do we need to know to run better mystery games? Oh, wow. that That is a loaded question. We could talk for days about it. <laughs> Well, we have a three-hour time limit, so you got that. <laughs> okay, sweet. Where do I begin? No, I mean, seriously, you know, it, I actually very nearly wrote an entire series of blog articles about running mystery games because someone on Twitter, who shall remain nameless, said that D&D makes it impossible to run a mystery to which I said, well, you know what? I'm going to write a couple of articles and prove them wrong. And then I wrote the first thing in that ar- in that series, which was something like uh, getting the most out of your skill system or something like that. I, I think it was how to date my teenage skill system. Wasn't that the title oh, yeah, you went through? Oh, yeah, Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Skill System. Yeah. And that was going to segue into an article on running mystery and investigations. And instead, I got all this wonderful feedback about how people who had never tried to DM before had the courage to do it based on that article. So I ended up going in a completely different direction, and all of my knowledge about how to run mysteries has been lost Ah. until now, when you unearth it. We are unearthing it for the world, which is fantabulous, because that's kind of what we try to do. And I don't know that we always are successful, but our goal every time we have an episode is to help someone get the courage, the experience, or the tools to make them, A, a better DM, or willing to try it. Now, for me, I actually think that, in a lot of ways, every D&D session is kind of a mystery. 
there there's always mystery elements. Even if you're just running a straightforward combat, the mystery is, okay, what are we facing? Are there any clues to what we're going to face so that we can better prepare? What tactics would be would be best here? Why are we fighting these things? So I, I kind of feel like mysteries are interwoven with every single D&D game anyway, but if you're specifically going to try to do something that you would think of as a mystery story, you know, where do you start? One of the questions we had on Twitter was, do you, you know, uh, sort of select certain classes or roles that you push the characters to have because they better fit? Or do you just let the characters create whatever they want and then then work around that? What, what would you suggest? Well, I think the answer to that question depends heavily on whether or not you're building a mystery-based campaign or whether you're just running a one-shot mystery. You know, you can... I mean, any group can realistically solve a mystery because the, the dirty little secret about mysteries is very little of solving a mystery comes from what's on your character sheet. That said, if you are running an, an entire campaign that is going to be based around uh, intrigue and around solving mysteries and investigating, you know, um, some sort of, you know, you know like a, a group of investigators for the king who run around the kingdom solving solving crimes and catching criminals and doing that sort of a thing, then, yeah, you do want to kind of look at how the party is going to be made up. And it's going to depend heavily on what edition you're going to be running. Because what ultimately happens is, in a mystery campaign, everybody in the party fills the same basic role. That is, they are all an investigator. And they all have to be able to participate in the mystery. They all have to be able to uncover clues. They all have to be able to put this stuff together. Which means the only way they're going to differentiate themselves is on their areas of expertise. You're going to have the guy who's really knowledgeable about magic. And you're going to have the guy who's really knowledgeable about cults. And you're going to have the guy who's really knowledgeable about the wilderness and, or, or history or no, nobility in politics, whatever it is. And that all lives in the skill system. So an addition like 3.5 or even Pathfinder, where the skill system is married heavily to your class so that it's very difficult to advance in a skill that isn't a class skill, that means that certain classes are going to have a problem. Like uh, if I'm running a 3.5 mystery and intrigue-based campaign, I'm going to warn anybody who comes saying, I want to I wanna have a fighter. I'm going to say, well, you're, you're not going to walk into it with a good skill set. You know, that said, there are still ways to make it happen, but they, they've got to be aware of that, maybe use some feats to round out their skill choices, that kind of a thing. So I do want to make sure that I, I clarify from my understanding. When you talk about running a mystery campaign, are you talking about something where there's like one sort of long mystery that will be revealed slowly over the entire campaign or, or a game campaign where each session might be almost like a TV procedural, murder of the week, villain of the week type thing, or, or does that matter? It actually does. You'll find that if you're running a campaign where there is an underlying mystery that needs to be solved, usually the mystery itself is not the focus of the campaign. Usually the party is trying to solve the mystery because of something else. It's like the world is going to be destroyed and someone is behind it. Someone's trying to unleash this elder god. Some sort of disaster is spreading across the world. Things like that. And then the party is unraveling the mystery only insofar as it helps them to solve whatever the problem is. 
when I say a mystery or an intrigue or an investigation campaign, I'm talking about more of that, the procedural type, where every week there's a new mystery or every couple of sessions there's a new mystery to solve. And that would marry very well with like a political intrigue type of story where you're not necessarily solving the murder as much as who is bribing this person or who is trying to navigate power. So it could be like a political Game of Thronesy type of game as well as just who's trying to bring you know, Orcus through the portal and destroy the world. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So so there should be some consideration to classes and, and backgrounds, which I'm a big fan of that first, like, zero session anyways, where you kind of do that as a group. Yeah, but the thing with that is that because you're running a mystery-type campaign, you want to focus on the right things. You want to make sure that the party is not going to focus on, say, combat roles or... Um, you know, the, the different sort of mechanical parts of the game that they're going to cover. Like, I'll be the wilderness survival guy, and, you know, I'll be the trap guy. Instead, you want them to focus on expertise. You're, you're going to have the guy who, who's kind of the, the intimidator, the, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the bad cop. You're going to have the good cop, the person who's persuasive. You're going to have someone who's an expert in a couple of things. You know, and you're probably going to have a couple of different experts in a couple of different fields. Because when you, when you get down to it, if you watch like a, a police procedural, you're going to find that that's what really differentiates the characters. Is You've got the person who's the tech guy, and you've got the person who's really good at talking to other people and getting information out of them. And usually there's two of them, one who's like kind of rough and, like I said, the bad cop, and then one who's the good cop. And then you've got someone who just, he's the guy who knows everything. You know, he just pulls out the weird random facts. And you put them all together and you have a, you know, an ensemble cast on a procedural, uh, yeah, procedural show. So the thing that comes to mind there is we've had a couple of different episodes and segments where we've talked about puzzles. You know, again, if you run a lot of dungeon crawls, you're eventually going to get to the puzzle where you got to hit the blue switch and not the red switch and then step on the green squares. And a lot of times those puzzles come down to a skill check, mm -hmm. which can ultimately be unsatisfying in a lot of ways. Like, you know, I'm a, I have a 20th intel, 20 intelligence because I'm a wizard. I roll. I got a good number. You tell me the answer. As a, someone trying to, who wants to solve a mystery, I don't know that I would enjoy that. So how do you balance between someone who just has a really high spot seeing, like Sherlock, oh, this was a six-foot-tall man, that he's the one who, who murdered the young lady, or letting the players figure it out so they have that aha feeling of success? Well, uh, I'm going to say this honestly. If your players sit down to the table wanting to play a mystery game, if, if that's what they're there for... They want to solve a mystery. They don't want to roll dice. You know, I mean, there, there's going to be dice rolling involved, but ultimately they want to feel like they figured it out. That's, that's why people sit down to, to play a mystery game. That's why, like, I used to, I used to watch Monk and Psych, the, the two USA detective shows, every week because I was racing them to solve the mystery first. Well, me and my cousin, actually, we used to sit and watch it every week. We'd get a pizza and watch those two shows. And right around the 42-minute mark is when they're going to reveal it. You know, you always know when they're going into the reveal. And at that point, we would pause the show, and we would both put, put forth our theory and see who solved it. And that's why we were watching it, and that's why you sit down to play a mystery game. If you have the, you know, if you just want to cover it with perception rolls and stuff... Then you're not running a mystery. You really uh, it, that 
I, I don't know how else to say it. That's not <laughs> what people want to do when they're playing a mystery. If they want to do that, they actually aren't interested in mysteries. Okay, wait, and I, and I would agree with you, and that's I think a lot of newer DMs and myself at times struggle with that, with I want to make it an interesting thing where I don't just tell them the answer. So I'm like, well, how do I make this difficult? But then I make it so difficult that someone eventually has to make a really high roll, and I kind of get myself stuck. We're like, well, now I've asked you to roll something, and I'm going to tell you what the answer is no matter what you roll. So I've invalidated the fact that I had you roll to begin with, which kind of ruins the moment. So we want the players to solve the mystery. So how would that yes. be different? So give me an example. All right. there, there's a dead body there. How are you going to let Michael solve this versus my character? All right. Well, actually, I think, I think we're racing ahead here. Okay. Um, I think, honestly... First, let's talk about what makes a mystery game a mystery game. What actually is the mystery? Okay, when you get down to it, a mystery game is just a game where the backstory, whatever led up to the beginning of the adventure, is unknown. And before the players can accomplish whatever their goal is, they have to figure out what the backstory was. Right, that that's all it is. It's just you're hiding the backstory, you're hiding the first act, and then you're going to ask them to piece it together because that's then going to lead them to the problem they have to solve, the killer who has to be brought to justice, the the smuggling ring that has to be disassembled. Or I ran one the other night where the group was actually trying to dig up dirt on a on a political official so that they could get him to vote the right way in a in in, uh, in political proceedings. So then again, you know, he had problems in his past and they had to find those problems so that they could use them as leverage, basically to blackmail the guy. Right. Though they keep insisting it wasn't blackmail so that the lawful good members of the party didn't feel so bad. <laughs> you know, but that's what a mystery is. You're just hiding the first act of, of a three-act story and asking them to figure it out before they can get to the third act. Okay. So once you understand that, then the next question you have to ask yourself is why are you running this mystery? Are you really trying are you just trying to create a story that is gradually revealed over time because you like that that ratcheting tension, you know, where the party gradually figures out what was going on once upon a time? Or is it really that the goal of the adventure is to figure that out? It, you, you know what I mean? It, um you know, like the point of a murder investigation is to find the murderer. That's the ultimate goal. Whereas what we were talking about before with uh, trying to stop Orcus from coming back into the world, you might have to figure out what, who, which cult is doing it and how they're doing it and, you know, why they stole this particular relic and what it can be used for and all of that stuff. But that's all tangential to the actual goal. A true mystery, the goal is actually the figuring out of things. Once they have, once the party has figured things out, they have substantially won the adventure. So going back to your monk and psych examples, if it's a truly a mystery at the 42-minute mark, they've solved it, and then you're pretty much at the end. You're ready for your final confrontation. And the other types of stories, you may figure it out, but you still got a lot of work to do before you actually get to the point where you've stopped the plot. Right. And then, of course, you can. You also have hybrids where the adventure is about figuring it out, just so that you know what the goal is when all is said and done. You know, like you dis the source of the disaster is this cult bringing Orcus back, so that tells us to put the dis put an end to the disaster 
we have to stop Orcus from coming back. And at that point, you're actually running two different adventures. It's, it's useful to think of it that way. Okay. As I'm running the mystery, and the point of the mystery is to figure this out, and what we figure out becomes the hook for another adventure. Okay, I'm with you. All right. So then the third question you want to ask yourself is the question DMs never ask themselves. Is it okay for the players to fail? That is something that DMs very rarely ask themselves, that they don't really think about. It's kind of taken as an assumption. But a mystery adventure is one that throws the possibility of failure in your face. Because it really does come down to whether or not you figure out what's going on. If you don't figure out what's going on, you have failed at the adventure. And you as a DM have to ask yourself, is that okay? And if it's not okay, well then that's, that's fine if you want to run your adventures that way. I don't run my adventures that way. I figure there's always the possibility of failure. But if you want to run your adventure that way, then you're going to structure things very differently. You know, in those cases, um, uh, you know, you'll see a couple of different techniques where, like, you know, DMs will have, like, the perception check that that can't fail. It's just a degree of success thing where the higher the roll is, the more information you give so that clues can't be overlooked. The whole gumshoe system is, is written along those lines of, you know, you can't miss the clues. You don't want to miss the clues. So to, to clarify failure, there's the failure where I miss my perception check or the equivalent. So rocks fall, party's dead, game's over. And then there's failure where I miss the clue, so another victim will be murdered before I have a chance to gather the next clue. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Well, no, it goes further than that. I mean, if you're, if you are, let's say you're running a murder mystery, you know, someone's running around killing people and the party has been hired to figure out who is killing them and bring them to justice, or figure out who's doing the killing and bring them to justice. Is it okay if the party never figures out who the killer is, and the killer just disappears one day, runs off, moves on to a new city and does things, or, or just kind of goes quiet for a year and then starts killing again, or whatever? Is that an okay end to your adventure? Is that... Is it okay to have that failure state? It would depend on probably a lot of factors, including the group, because I think some groups would enjoy that the murders stop and like we fast forward a year and then it's like, oh, there's another murder. And like we, you know, we come back in, we figure out what everybody's been doing for the last year. And other groups would just be like flipping the table and running out of the, the, the room if we did that. Right. Well, you have to figure that out as a DM. Is this how you're running your game? Because I'll tell you right now, if you're, if you are running a game where it is not okay for the players to fail, then you're not really running a true mystery. Because remember, the point of a mystery is the players want to have the challenge of figuring out a puzzle. And if, they, if they're going to have that challenge, there has to be that possibility that they don't rise to the challenge. And if they don't rise to the challenge, if they don't put the pieces together, then the mystery, you know, you know eventually the the case is going to go cold, or the, the people who are paying them are going to say, you know what, you're taking too long, we're going to bring in someone else, or, or the person's just going to disappear, the person's going to flee. Whatever it is, you know, or the things are just going to go quiet, and suddenly there's just no trail to follow anymore. So in, in the, the one where true failure is an option, when you're creating that mystery, do you think ahead of time, okay, I know there's going to be three encounters, three bodies that are found, or three vaults that were broken into, or three nobles that were robbed, and 
each time they're going to get the chance to find clues. If they don't find them all or they don't put them together by the time the third one is done, they don't have a shot. Is that kind of like what you're talking about? Like there's a limited number of opportunities? No, and I, I'm. we're not even talking about how you're building the mystery yet. Okay. What I'm saying is you have decided as a DM you are going to run this adventure as a mystery. You have a murderer who's running around. Is it okay, before you even start writing this adventure, is it okay if the party does not solve the mystery? Can the party fail? Okay, I'm going to say that yes, it is okay that the party fails. So how is that going to change what we do next? Well, then you're running. then you're writing a real mystery. Okay. Because now the, now you have the possibility of failure. Then it becomes important to figure out what the failure state actually is. Because one of the biggest problems that happens when you have failure in an adventure is that adventurers, players, PCs, never admit failure. They tend to assume that they can that there will always be something else they can do to succeed. So let's say hypothetically they run down every possible lead, they miss every clue, they bungle every interaction, and in the end they just do not have the information they need to put together. And it has reached the point where you know the adventure has failed. You know that they cannot possibly solve this mystery now. You have to figure out what that looks like and how you convey that to the players. You have to tell, you, you know, you basically have to decide what the game over screen is. And it, it may seem funny thinking in these terms before you even started writing the, writing the mystery, but if you're not prepared to answer these questions, you just can't run a mystery. It's as simple as that. Okay, can you give us an example I mean, from one of the games you ran, like what the end state was that you had decided beforehand? Yeah, uh, let's see, there, there have actually been a couple. So... I mentioned most recently that the the little bit of intrigue was that they were trying to uncover this guy's uh, you know shady dealings in this guy's past so that they could get some leverage on him. Well, there was an important vote coming in five days, and that's what they needed to influence. So they had a ticking time bomb. Gotcha. If they didn't uncover information that was useful for blackmail and actually successfully blackmail him in five days, then the the adventure was over. You know, they had failed. There was another one not too long ago where they were trying to pull apart a smuggling ring. Someone was smuggling illegal goods into the city. They were trying to figure out how the goods were getting into the city, who was behind it. Actually, it wasn't so much even who was behind it. The who was irrelevant there. It was just how it was being done and then dismantle it. And at that point, there wasn't... a they were being paid by the city guard to do it, so there was always that possibility of being pulled off the case. And it actually did happen that they got pulled off the case, but they decided to continue the investigation anyway. And at that point, they there was they had ruined my failure state. I'm not going to lie. I had this failure state planned, and they ruined it by refusing to give up on the mystery. So since there was still a possibility that they could succeed, that there were still leads they could run down, I knew that there were still paths that would lead to success. Ultimately, I let them keep running at it. But if it had reached a point where their leads had dried up, I absolutely have no problem telling the party flat out, look, you guys, this, this case has gone cold. You've exhausted every, every lead. You have no other possibilities. You can keep banging your head against it, but you're not going to solve it. You've got to walk away now. 
you know, I have no problem breaking the fourth wall and saying that because the players have to hear it. Right. Or else you have the adventure that never ends. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so in that case, is that like a, like a campaign over, reroll new characters, or just like, okay, six months later, you're in a new city, what's, you know, what are you doing now type of a thing? No, it was a smuggling ring. If they had, if they failed to take apart the smuggling ring, the smuggling ring is still smuggling. Maybe they get another chance at it someday. Maybe someone else takes it apart, but they move on to other adventures. Okay. You know, just because an adventure fails, it doesn't mean the whole campaign has to fall apart. And I think that's one of the stumbling steps. Uh, if you're wanting to build a whole campaign around this mystery, that you're afraid that the players will fail because you don't know what to do with them at that point. You know, you're just like, okay, well, now what? So I think what you're saying is it it has to be okay to fail, but there still has to be something they can do. Well, that actually, uh, if I can go on a tangent for a second about Of failing. course. Okay, because this, one of the most often quoted useless bits of advice about failure is do not let failure grind the story to a halt. Okay, that's something that every DM will tell you about failure. Oh, don't let failure grind your story to a halt. And that is an absolutely absurd, ludicrous piece of advice. It makes no sense if you think about it. Because, like, take the smuggling ring, for example. So they failed. Okay, now the smuggling ring is still in operation. They can't pull it apart. The smuggling ring keeps going. So what do they do once they know they failed? They go have another adventure. They start a new story. That's all there is to it. You know, what, um, let's say, you know, the cult is trying to bring Orcus back so that Orcus can plunge the world into darkness. And they fail. They fail to figure it out. And Orcus comes back. Well, what happens now? Maybe they fight Orcus. Maybe the, the campaign becomes about the resistance against the demons that have taken over the world. Or, you know what, maybe Orcus destroys the world, and you say, well, okay, time to start a new game. You know, and they roll new characters, and they, or they, you could even roll new characters a hundred years in the future in that world that is now plunged into darkness and ruled by Orcus and his demons. You know, but there's always another story to be told. Failure is never going to grind your story to a halt. What people are really talking about when they say that is make sure the party knows that they've failed so they don't keep trying to succeed at something they can't do anymore. That's what grinds your game to a halt. That makes sense. I'm with you. You, know, you have the party that keeps trying to solve the unsolvable mystery now, and you as a DM, you won't step in and say, look, it's unsolvable. You, you ruined it. You screwed <laughs> everything up. You did it horribly. You're bad at I'm this sorry. game. You lose. Game over. You know, move on, move on, you know, go. And and that's the thing is that most DMs will not just move the game along at that point. They won't step in and tell the party, sorry, guys, you, you lost this one. Time to, you know, drop back 10 and punt. <laughs> but you, the, the reason I say you have to be prepared for failure in a mystery is because you are putting so much on the players. You're, you're ultimately hoping that the players will put together the pieces and solve the mystery. And you want to have a good fail state so that you don't have the mystery that never ends, the perpetual adventure. Where they're just, you know, I'll give you a perfect example, too. You're, you're interviewing a witness. You're trying to get information out of the witness. You keep bombing your checks to the point where, well, that's sort of the problem. You know, most DMs, you have that inter... You think about the way the interrogation plays out at the table, right? And the party asks the... the it's the guy a question, and they, you know, they're intimidating him, say, 
trying to trying to muscle information out of him. And he's not impressed by that. He says, I'm not telling you anything. And they're like, well, you know, what if we really, really threaten you? <laughs> it's like, well, that's not a different question now. The guy, you know, yeah. the guy already gave his answer. And it's like, well, what if we really, really threaten you now? But if you watch how interaction scenes play out, it you, you get into that pattern where the party just keeps trying a different tack or keeps trying the same tack over and over again where the in the actual interrogation has already failed, where the DM is looking at it saying, this guy's not going to give you anything, okay? You failed to persuade him, you failed to bribe him, you failed to intimidate him, you don't have any leverage on him, you have failed to bluff him, he does not trust you. He's done with you. There is nothing he's going to say to you. But the DMs will keep running that scene and running that scene and running that scene instead of a simple hand wave like, all right, you talk to the guy for another 15 minutes before you realize... He is not going to give you anything, any information, no matter what you do to him. So at this point, unless one of you is going to stab him, let's move on to the next scene. And then some parties will actually take the stabbing option. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking was going to happen there too. So, so the thought that comes to my mind there is, if I'm trying to intimidate, persuade, bribe, cajole, whatever the the witness, and the players are failing their checks, do I at a point just have them tell them a lie? Just it, like like in real life, eventually uh-huh. you'll just say, "Yeah, I did." It was a guy who was a half orc. He ran that way. Leave me alone. But then you're you're adding in confusion. That's going to make it harder on the players later. Okay, yeah, you can do that, and you're right. It's going to increase the difficulty of the adventure. And the other thing is that then you kind of owe it to the party to give them some sort of sense motive or insight or whatever the whatever the hell the skill is in whatever edition you're doing for the detect I'm being lied to skill, which is. <laughs> A pain in the ass skill, if you're running good mystery adventures, get rid of sense motive. But, no, nah, I won't go off on that rant. It's fine, <laughs> use sense motive. But, yeah, if you do that, you're you're making the, the adventure harder for one thing. And for another thing, if the party picks up on the lie, then you're back in the, in, in the interaction scene that will not end. Right. Because then the party turns around and says, well, we know you're lying. It's like, tell us. And I'm still not telling you. Well, tell us. <laughs> well, I'm still not telling you. Well, I can also see that where, because I, I think everybody who's DM'd at some point, the players will latch onto a detail that in your mind isn't that important, but they think that it is. And I could totally see the players going, oh, okay, clearly we must follow this guy home. He's in on it. And then it becomes mm-hmm. like they're, they're falling into the city. They're staking out his apartment. And this guy's just like a dock worker. You know, he, he really wasn't supposed to be in on the, in on it, but now they've, they're convinced that because he lied to them, that he must be more than he seems. Yeah. And what you have to remember as a DM is that you control the flow of time in the game. So if the party really wants to sit there and investigate this guy and spend all the resources and all their time on this guy, then you don't have to play out every moment of that. You can simply say, well, you follow this guy for three days, and he goes to work, he goes to the bar, he comes home, he goes to the hooker occasionally, you know, then he comes home, then he goes to work, and you have determined that he is up to nothing. Or if he is up to something, you can't see it. So just by that simple hand wave alone, you tell the party, you know, you've discovered nothing here. And you've wasted three days. Well, not necessarily. They haven't wasted three days. What you have to remember is in a mystery, a null answer, that is, discovering there is nothing there, is often useful information. Because they've also eliminated this guy as a suspect or involved or whatever. True. It is okay to... 
mysteries are the one place where you can tell the players you don't discover anything and they will feel like they won something. So we've made a decision that failure is an option. So then right. then what is our next step in crafting a mystery game? Well, then the next step, and this is the part where I get into a lot of fights on the internet. Okay. The next step is you have to decide what happened. What is the correct answer? All right. You've got to write the story. How did the murder play out? Why did it play out? Who was involved? Who were the witnesses? All that stuff. Uh, if it's, you know, find the, the skeletons in this guy's closet, well, you have to f- decide what those skeletons are. If it's uh, the smuggling ring, you have to figure out where the smuggling ring is and who do they, how do they distribute their goods. And, you know, you have to figure out everything that led up to the question that the party is trying to answer. You know, how is, how is it functioning? What is the correct answer? Now, some people like to skip this step. Some people instead prefer to run a mystery out and wait until the party comes up with a solution and then assume that solution is correct and run with it or run the mystery out for, you know, for a little while until it feels like it's kind of played out and then figure out a solution based on everything that's happened and all the details that they've created in their head. And those are okay ways to do it. I wouldn't do it because I hate railroading. And essentially what you are doing there is you are railroading. Okay. Okay. You are basically, as crazy as it seems, you are taking away the party's, uh, in the first instance especially, you're taking away the party's chance to fail and the chance to really figure things out. Because at the end of the day, the solution you invent after the fact is going to be based on everything the party knows. Which means whatever clues they have picked up those are the clues that were needed to solve the mystery. You have, again, robbed them of the ability to fail. You've basically, in my opinion, you've railroaded them and taken the mystery away. And if they ever figure out that they're doing that, I would be totally okay with it if they were upset with you. <laughs> because you, you basically lied to them. You ran an adventure on false pretenses. You said, I'm going to give you a puzzle, but whatever answer they gave, you said it's the right answer. So it wasn't really a puzzle at all. You were asking them to write a story for you. I would I would disagree with that in part. I, I think I think there's there's degrees uh, th- there's a spectrum that that falls on because I because I know we talked before we started recording and that's that's kind of how I run mysteries usually is I I create a scenario something's happened a murder a break in whatever and I'll just sort of improv clues if someone decides to use a spot check and they roll really well then I'll I'll create something they see that might be interesting. And then at some point, I will work backwards and go, okay, well, based off of all these things, what might the answer be? That doesn't mean that they're going to get it correct. They could still not come up with the solution, but I haven't, I didn't necessarily decide at the beginning who the murderer was. Though usually I did decide, like, I do kind of have the overarching, it's just the little details in the middle, because I'm just not good at that. It's not a skill that I have where I could sit down and, and write out all these clues that would make sense. So for me, it's easier to do it the other way. So I agree with you that there there is a way that you would do that and just go, okay, we think it's Colonel Mustard because of all these clues. And you go, okay, yeah, it's Colonel Mustard. Or you could be you as the DM go, okay, I've given them all this information. I now know who the murderer is, but I don't necessarily know that the players have figured it out yet. Okay. So let me ask you this. Why do you hate your players? <laughs> because, no, I don't hate my players. I like my players immensely. Then why are you making life so difficult for them? Because it's easier for me. 
I understand. But when you build a mystery like that, where you're gonna, you know, you're gonna improvise all the details and then fit them together into something in your head later, whether or not the party comes up with the solution, the problem is things are never quite going to fit together as well as if they were pre-planned. And I there's agree with that. There's always going to be some rough edges, and there's always going to be a detail or two that don't fit. Okay, and the problem is, as easy as it is for you to look back and say, well, this, 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 and this are true, and this detail that doesn't fit, this doesn't fit because, and you come up with an explanation for that little plot hole, the players, if they have decided that that is the one piece of information that is the most important piece of information, because they don't know what the most important information is, that then has become a major stumbling block for them. There is no way for them to figure out that you decided in your head that detail, it's okay that it, it, it doesn't, doesn't fit. fit well. Okay, You're making your mysteries much harder to solve on your, uh, to an outsider. Whereas it's very easy for you to figure out what was going on because you have information the party doesn't. The fact is, they can't discover everything you know because you haven't decided it beforehand. No, so they're never going to have a complete enough picture. And I, and I agree with you. As I said at the beginning, Like I, I love running mysteries, but I don't know that I necessarily run them well. That, that's my technique. <laughs> but part of that is that I'm compensating for the fact that right now, if I tried to run a mystery the way that you're suggesting, I also don't know that it would turn out very well because it's not a skill I've developed yet. I'm not good at it. Uh, it's not to say I couldn't get good at it and I could develop it and make very, be very successful. But for me currently, at my current level of DMing skill, it's easier for me and, and ultimately more satisfying for my players, I believe, because it will be a more fun adventure than if I try to do it the right way, if that makes sense. It, it does, except that now you're guaranteeing you will never get good at it because you're not doing it. The only way you get good at something is by doing it. And keep in mind that I haven't even started talking about running a mystery. <laughs> I'm still talking about writing a mystery. Correct. And all I've said is you have to decide what happened. Who killed the guy? And why did, the, why did he kill the guy? And where did he kill the guy? And what was he using? You know? You know, he, he snuck into the guy's house in the middle of the night. He stabbed him with a knife that was poisoned. And then he you know, while the guy was sleeping, and then he broke out the window and ran away into the night. And why did he do it? He did it because they're political rivals or whatever. You know, he was hired by a political rival. You know, you you decide those things first. You You write the solution first. We're not even talking about running the game yet. But it's actually not that hard to write that answer. You know, but... If you have a really, really, really good sense of what actually happened, then when the party surprises you with a weird question, okay, like let let me let me uh, do this. We'll we'll do a little interactive activity here. Yay! All right, all right. So the guy he climbs up the side of the house, he breaks in through the window, stabs the guy in his sleep, stabs the victim in his sleep, and then. He sneaks downstairs, sneaks out the back door, because he can unlock it from the inside, and disappears into the night. So now you have the party, and one of the savvy party members who watches, like, you know, CSI every week. He says, is the glass scattered around the inside of the window or the outside of the window? It would be the inside of the window. Exactly. 
You know that because you know what the solution is. You didn't have to sit there and think about the clue. You didn't have to write the clue in advance because you know the solution. You know what the answer is. You, you, you know right. what I mean? Right. No, I'm with you. You know, if, if, I, if the guy uses a heel check on the... Um, I, I, and I mean, I know we're, now we're going into CSI level shit here, but sorry. <laughs> CSI level stuff here, but get, you know, you have another really canny player who goes over and examines the wound and he asks, you know, was this one stab wound, was that really enough to kill the guy? And you're going to say, no, it wasn't, because you know that the, the blade was poisoned. And then, you, you, because you know that, you know that answer in your head. Right. You know, can I figure out the, the type of poison that was used? Well, I don't know. Give me an herbalism check. Sure. You know, D, DC 10, 15, 20. You, you know, have the, the DCs in your head. 5, 10, 15, 20. Easy, moderate, hard, very hard. And just decide on the spot how, how difficult that information would be to get from the wound. And then you, then you give them the information because then they might run to, you know, there's, there's only three or four people in the city who are going to sell poisons. You know, so they might run those people down, and suddenly they have created a clue and a lead that you didn't plan on. Right. But you can do that because you know what the solution was. You don't have to be good at laying down the clues. You, have, you just have to be good at figuring out how someone pulled off the crime. And the other thing is, if you're not good at it, you're going to run better mysteries anyway because you're not going to make your crimes too complicated. See, as simple as that crime is, climb up the window or climb up the house break in the window, and then leave by the back door after stabbing the guy with a poison knife. That's a very simple crime, and the guy didn't do anything to cover his tracks. That is actually a very hard thing for the players to solve, especially if the guy was hired, you know, if, right. if the murderer wasn't the person with the motive. Well, you might figure out the person, but you still don't know the motive. Like, that, that is probably then more the mystery is why was this person killed more than how or by who. Right, because the person that actually committed the murder at that point is not actually the murderer, he's the murder weapon. An assassin isn't a murderer, an assassin is a murder weapon. You know, somebody murders someone by assassin. By assassin. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But that's why you, you figure this stuff out in advance so that you can answer the questions, even the ones you weren't ready for. No, that makes perfect sense to me. I try. I try to make perfect sense. So I know <laughs> Caleb has, has said that he's going to try to remain quiet, but I feel like we should give him an opportunity every now and then. Caleb, do you have any questions for Angry? Any clarifications or tangents we can go off on? Oh, no. I think I should be silent this whole episode. <laughs> I think that is the better mystery. Aha! So I'll actually edit, I'll edit that out, and it'll just be the whole time like, where was Caleb? <laughs> no, I, I, I do have something I want to bring up here. So uh, essentially what we're saying, if, if I may, Mm -hmm. is that to properly approach uh, a mystery-based game, mm -hmm. you, as the GM preparing the game, have to make the, the willing and conscious decisions ahead of time as to the details and the, the decision to make this happen in the game. It, it's but not going to work as well if you're just on the fly saying, okay, well, now there's a mystery. You have to really make the the work and put the work into it to say, this is what we're going to do, and this is how it's going to play out. I firmly believe that that is true, yes. Okay. You don't have to necessarily... Like, part of the reason I'm saying know the answer is so that you don't have to design the whole investigation. 
So like like I said, where the where the players asked smart questions and discovered an avenue of inquiry that you may not have planned on, you could create that on the fly because of your knowledge of the solution. But if you don't know what the solution is ahead of time, you lose that opportunity. Ah, so what what you're doing here by making this decision is you are essentially supplying yourself the materials needed to play out this session. Precisely. It's it's like you're looking it up in, in the monster manual of what the dragon does. You're looking up in the mystery manual what the murder does. Yeah, exa- you know what? The details of the crime are just the stat block of the of the mystery. Sure, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So when it comes down to it, you you made this decision. Something that that you guys were were kind of talking about a little bit earlier on is that you have to get your players to participate with this. So so let's say you, Angry, feel like running a mystery game. Do you tell your players, hey guys, we're doing a mystery, prepare for that? Or do you throw it at them and see how they handle it? If it's a one-shot adventure, you know, like I'm running a campaign and I decide that tonight's adventure or this week's adventure or whatever will be a mystery then I'm okay with occasionally just surprising the party with it. But in that case, I tend to make the mystery shorter and easier to solve unless I know that the players are really going to bite on it. I also try to make the stakes a little bit lower so that it's not like one of these things where if they fail at it or lose interest, they're not going to destroy the world. Okay. You know, but the, honestly, though, that comes down to any type of adventure. You know, if, if you're going to change up what you're doing normally then you you want to proceed with caution. You want to make sure that you have ways to back out. You want to make sure that you're not going to destroy the whole campaign by doing it. You know, it's like, like if you have a group that normally plays Intrigue and you decide to send them in a dungeon crawl one night because you've had a hankering to run a dungeon crawl, that's fine. But if they then go into this dungeon crawl and they're not interested and they're not good at dungeon crawls and the entire party gets murdered... You you have the the recipe for a group of people who are not coming back the following week. You know they're going to be pissed off. So instead, you want to make it a little bit lower stakes. You want to make sure you have some outs, and you want to keep it short. And if you're going to run a whole damn campaign based around mysteries or intrigue or whatever, then like with any campaign, you want to sit down with the players beforehand and let them know what the plan is. That makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as you want to prepare your game, you have to prepare your players for the game as well. Well, you want to make sure everybody at the table wants to play the same game you do. You know, And if they, if they want to play a different game than you do, than you want to run, well, then maybe you need a different group, or maybe you need to change the game that you're going to run. So I think that's where it makes sense if you normally play a very action-y type game, that one week, one session, it starts off with a murder you give the opportunity for there's probably one or two players in your group that do enjoy that that might latch on to it you let them solve the pretty quick murder that leads them to another fight so it's almost like a little bit of a detour but you get a little bit of the taste of mystery and then you could say like wow they really enjoyed that maybe we could do more of that 
again, rather than maybe throwing them into a 20-level mega dungeon if they're used to playing a political game. It's, it's like a, a taste, a little toe in the water, and see how they react, and you can either build on it or go, okay, that was a distraction, didn't really float, and then you just move on to your regular story. Well, I'll tell you, on and now at the risk of derailing with more general DMing advice, when I start a game with a new group of players... The first couple of sessions, I tend to throw a lot of different types of encounters at them. I tend to throw puzzles, riddles, uh, you know, a, a good combat, um, uh, social interaction stuff. Um, as many different types of scenes as I can throw at them, just so that I get a sense of the stuff that they really seem to enjoy and the stuff that they really latch onto. And I tend to throw a lot of possible side quests just to see which ones the party kind of decides are good ones. Sort of feeling out the party. Because, I mean, you can sit there and you can ask the party, hey, do you guys like mysteries? Do you guys like puzzles? Do you guys like combat? And the answers you're going to get from players are very unreliable. Because nobody knows what they like. And worse, nobody knows if they like something that they've never tried. So by actually just experimenting and throwing things out at the party to see what they latch onto, not only do you learn what they're into, you also give them the opportunity to learn they're into something they didn't know. But now, again, we've gotten really far away from running mysteries. Okay. <laughs> Good job, Caleb. Just like my blog. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 how about this? And I'm going to throw a question out there, and I'm pretty sure it's a stupid question, but there I are no feel... stupid questions, only stupid people who ask questions. Okay, that's fine, because I feel <laughs> like I, I need to, to make, I need to say the stupid question for, for the sake of people who are listening that might want to ask the stupid question. So I, I'm taking the hit for you guys right now. Um, when it comes down to solving a mystery, and tangentially when it comes down to solving puzzles, where do you draw the line between character knowledge and player knowledge? Me personally? Or where should all people? Um, <laughs> well, I think the answer is kind of one and the same, because the way you do it is obviously the right way. Well, yeah, no, certainly, certainly. I do it the right way, and anybody yeah. else does it the wrong way. But this is one of those questions where different people are going to find a different, uh, different places, you know... I, I, I always tell people you don't need my permission to run your game any wrong way you want to, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I stand by that. But me personally, I am of the opinion that people sit down. You know what? Actually, let me answer this with a different example. Okay. In a combat scene, let's say, let's say someone is playing a fighter and they have the soldier background because we're playing 5th edition and they have the soldier background and they were like an officer and, they, and you know, they, they took the knowledge of tactics and whatever other skills they've got, all that, that stuff. So then in the middle of the combat, they go ahead and they make a tactically unusual choice. And by tactically unusual, I mean a choice that I might not have made, uh, you know, maybe a wrong choice. Do you tell them that they made the wrong choice? Do you have them roll for their tactical knowledge? Do you veto their action? Or do you just let them go with it? Hmm. Normally, if it's, if it's me, if it's something that the, the character should know better but the player doesn't, I would tell them, 
you know, your years of training tells you that stepping there is actually a bad idea because you fought many of these and you know that it can kill you if you go there because I don't want to gotcha because uh, I don't think that's fun for most players. But if it's something that in their that their background doesn't really cover, then I might give them a role to see if maybe they do have knowledge of this creature that it's just not readily apparent in their background. Okay. So then in what sense are they making their own decisions in combat anymore? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to step in and start vetoing a character's actions and saying things like, well, you know, your character should know better, particularly on a, on a choice of maybe tactics or maybe the, maybe the player even has a plan that's going to be played out over several, several rounds, or maybe you just are tactically superior to the players, there comes a point where you're running the characters for them. Yeah. Because the dirty little secret is the guy doesn't want to play a tactical genius as much as he wants to have the fun of playing a combat. He wants to make the choices. He wants to figure out where to stand. He wants to make the attacks. He wants to make his own mistakes. I would agree with that. Like, I don't think that I would have said you wouldn't do that as much as I would just want to make sure that they that his he understands his character knows that there is a possibility of something bad happening. He, he needs all the information before he makes that decision. But I don't, I don't think I would ever step in and say, you wouldn't do that as much as, are you sure you want to do that? Right. Well, but now how is that any different though? Well, because like I said, like, because I do that a lot. <laughs> I, I know sometimes you've mentioned this on Twitter. Like I like to sometimes intentionally do something that is not the right thing to do because I think it's interesting or funny. So if I decide to make a very poor tactical choice, but there's a reason for it, whether it's a v- good reason or not, then I'm not. I would be very unhappy if the DM says, "No, your character's too smart. They would never do that." I'm like, "Well, no. I'm. That's what I'm doing. I, I still have the freedom to make a bad choice, but I don't want to. Like I think you mentioned in one of your recent articles. I don't want to get a gotcha either, where I step on the landmine and you're like, "Well, there's a landmine there. You're dead." I'm not talking so much about a gotcha here, but but let's say you know the player decides to use a fireball, and you know that they actually have. Uh, you know, a better spell they could use, say. You know, like, you know, maybe instead of Fireball, you should use Burning Hands because you should conserve your resources and the damage output is more than enough to deal with these guys, and you should probably know that. I mean, do you step in and tell the player that? Are you a tactical fairy? It it would depend on the player. I've had some people who are brand new to the game that I might say, this is something you might want to consider that there's a chance you may fight something worse later. But I'm still going to let them, at the end of the day, make the choice that they want to make. But my point is just that people are playing the game because they want to win. They don't just want to tell a story about a character. I mean, people do want to tell a story about their character. But people also want to challenge themselves. They want to face these obstacles and feel like they beat them. Which means sometimes letting them do out-of-character things like making a poor tactical choice because that's the choice the player made. There's this whole myth about, you know, never challenging player skill and always challenging character skill. But if you really ran a game that way, you would start every battle by having both sides roll for their tactics. And then, you you know, whichever side rolls the better roll, then they win the fight. And then you would roll to determine how many resources each side used up in winning the fight, and you would be done with it. It would all be done with rolls and stats. The reason people sit down to play a role-playing game is because they want to make decisions. They want to make choices, and they want to feel like their choices have an impact. If you take that away from them, then 
they might as well not be playing a role-playing game. At that point, you're running a computer simulation. So as far as how much player knowledge versus character knowledge do you focus on, I assume that when my players come and sit down at my table, it's because they want to solve the mystery, they want to win the fight, they want to, you know, uh, defeat, you know, overcome the obstacles, they want to save the world, whatever it is. Not they, they don't want to tell a story about characters doing it, they want to do it, you know? So, so in that example, going back to earlier, the way I would frame that is if, if the player says, you know, I walk over and look at the window, is the glass on the inside or the outside, I'm going to tell them the answer rather than having them roll to see if their character knows the answer. But if they say, I don't know what to do, I'm just going to investigate the scene and see what I find, that would be an example of just let them roll a skill and then giving them something based off of their role. Because well, you, you could have a character that just doesn't know what to do. Okay, well, see, now now you're, you're, two, you're asking two different questions there. <laughs> okay? If the player asks a question about something they can see, why are you picking up a die? there's no chance they're not going to see the detail they're looking for. If I look down and say, is the glass on the inside or the outside of the window, there's no chance I'm going to trip and stab myself in both eyes by accident <laughs> and miss that detail. But it I'm would be funny if you did. So I'm not even going to touch a die there. I'm going to answer the question. No, the I, player's I, asking a question about the scene. I agree with you. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is, like, is that what you would do just if the character asks the question that has an answer, you tell them. But if they're not sure what to do, like, like, would you as the DM say, well, maybe your character inspects the window and then you give them that answer? Or do you just say, well, well your character rolls a search check? Like, how would you navigate that if someone doesn't uh, ask a good question? All right. So now we're, we're getting into the nitty gritty of how you actually run in a, a, a mystery. Yay, we got that. You've decided. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like I said, hey, I, I, I had to start with whether or not you actually can run a mystery and how you prepare to run a mystery. So now we come down to the nitty-gritty, and that is how you actually run a mystery. And it's... All right, I'm trying to think of the best way to come to this. It's such a big question. It's a very mysterious question to approach. Yeah. It, it, oh, it is, it is. Because, I mean, like, the, the first thing to think... Like, to answer your question first, it depends on whether or not I was prepared with that answer. Okay, if I hadn't actually thought of the glass inside or outside the window as a clue, okay, then if the party was looking around at the scene and just investigating the scene, as it were, then I might not think to give them that particular answer. Okay, I might not have planted that clue. And that really comes down to how you're running the mystery, is where you're planting the clues. Okay. Uh, first of all, you know the difference between a clue and a lead? Let's start there. I don't know that I would have a, a textbook definition, uh, but just sort of guesstimating, I would say that a, a lead um, is going to take you in a different direction where you might find something relevant. A clue actually tells you something that, given time, you could figure something out from. Yeah, that that's pretty much exactly it. A lead <sighs> brings you from one scene or encounter to another, and a clue is actually a piece of the puzzle that helps you, that you put together to get the answer. Okay? I like to actually think of mystery adventures like a dungeon, which sounds really crazy, I know. But you think about it as there's a series of scenes because now, you, you know, you've decided how the mystery, how the crime 
or the incident or whatever happened, and you know who knows things, and you know, you know, what places are involved and stuff like that. So you can think of each of those things as a scene or an encounter that's going to play out. You know, they're they're gonna they're gonna go to the crime scene and they're gonna look around. And, you know, they might go to the bar and, and ask, you know, the bar across the street and ask if anybody saw anything. And, you know, we didn't really develop a good mystery here, so I don't know what other scenes there might be. You know, they might go to the poison shops, you know. And I'm going to plan out all of those scenes. Now, not necessarily all of them, but I'm going to have a framework of the scenes that I think will lead from the beginning to the end. You know, basically the scenes that will get the party from the start of the adventure to the solution. And basically you can draw them like boxes on a piece of paper. You know, I would draw a crime, I, you know, a box labeled crime scene and a box labeled Bob, the, the homeless guy who saw what happened. You know, and, and the, the poison shops. And, you know, I would have all these boxes. The connections between the boxes are the leads. Okay, so as the as the party approaches the crime scene, Bob, the homeless guy, might be camped out in the gutter across the street, and they'll notice him, and then that becomes a lead that leads to Bob's scene, where they can now ask Bob, did you see anything last night? And then Bob will give them some information that might lead them to another area, you know. Those are leads, the connections between the different scenes in the adventure. Now... The other thing you're going to do is you are going to come up with a list of clues. These are all the bits of information that added together give someone a chance to figure out the solution. It might be the the poison that was used. It might be a physical description of the criminal. You know, it might be the bar that the criminal hangs out at. You know, you know all actually the bar would be more of a lead, but like a physical description of the criminal. It's the motive. The motive is going to be a clue. You know, the, this guy has has a rivalry with him, so that's, you know, that's a clue. And clues are like little bits of treasure you're going to scatter around your treasure map, or, or around your little map there. So, you know, by questioning Bob, Bob has a treasure. He The treasure that he has is a physical description of the criminal. You know, the, the poison shop owner might also have the same clue. He might be able to describe the person who bought this poison, you know. The party might then just start asking around about this person, and you you know that that can be a different scene. That's like a a streetwise thing, just asking on the street in the in the criminal districts. You know, have you seen someone who looks like this? Which might lead them to the bar, you know, and or the you know the party in knowing who the person is, they might ask about what his job is, and they might discover his rivalry with this other person that was the motive. And that rivalry is the treasure, that's the clue that they're going to solve. So they're basically going to be wandering around this map, picking up these treasures. And then at some point, they can put all the treasures together, and that is hopefully going to draw a picture of the solution. You know? Uh, Sort of like a logic puzzle. No, I, th- I think that's a good way of, of thinking about it. Uh, the the dungeon analogy, I think, will help people who aren't necessarily good at running mysteries, but they have are successfully running games, f- frame that in, in a way that makes sense to them. Um, but one of the things that I was thinking, ju- 
just to clarify more for the audience maybe than, than for you, but like when I talk about improving. Uh, the details of a mystery, like one of the examples you came up with was a good one. Like I may not decide, have decided ahead of time that there was anything unique about the dagger. Like that just wasn't a detail that I decided, you know, it was a triangular shaped dagger or it was an obsidian dagger. It's just, it's a dagger. It doesn't matter. But if one of the characters does like a heel check and says, do I notice anything unusual about the wound? Like, was it a, was there something unique about the weapon? I might go, Yes. And, and create a detail that I hadn't planned for, but it still it doesn't violate what I had already decided, like who was behind it. But it does instantly create a new new avenue because now they could go to like an exotic weapons dealer or the poison. Someone may say, you know, you couldn't kill somebody one one stab. It must have been a poison dagger. And I'm okay. Okay, yeah, it was poison. And so I'm kind of getting there, but I don't necessarily plan it out to the detail that you're suggesting. No, maybe not. And yeah, there is always you are always going to have to improvise. That part of being a GM is just learning to think on your feet and respond to the crazy things that your character <laughs> what that the players do. Right. But at the end of the day, you also want the mystery to work if they don't think of anything that you didn't. Okay? That is if you were a player in this adventure, the mystery has to be solvable to you. So if they don't think to ask about the glass in the window or the poison wound or whatever, the mystery that you wrote down still has to be solvable without you inventing anything new. If you go to that table without a mystery that is solvable until you invent the right things, and then the moment comes where you could invent a thing and you're dry, you just don't have an idea, or you don't think of that idea, well, now your mystery is unsolvable. Because you figured, well, I'll probably come up with something good on the fly. (laughs) What if you don't? (laughs) Yeah. You know, now the party is going to be wandering in circles. The the crux of the of of my my questions here, and I think this may be what you were leading to, so I hope I'm not spoiling anything. But a lot of it comes down to if the players are actively asking the right questions, it's easy because you know the answers to give them the information they need. If they right. don't ask good questions, how do you feed them the answers without just telling them and, again, taking away their agency? So the the window is a great example. If no one thinks to inspect the window, at what point as a DM do you say, well, while you're searching the room, one of you goes by the window and you notice that the majority of the glass is in the floor rather than on the ground? Like, at what point do you just give them information because they're floundering? Well... Uh, that comes down to, again, how much failure are you willing to tolerate in your game. So if the party goes to the crime scene and you have decided that one of the clues at the crime scene is the glass around the window, since we're just running with that example now. So that that is one of the clues that is on your clue list as a piece of the puzzle that is vital to solving this mystery. Even though I think the way we laid out the mystery, that's not really vital, but whatever, we'll just run with it. Right. So if you have decided that's important, then you have to decide whether the party can fail to pick up on that or not. Is that something they can fail at? And that's not a question of the situation or the game so much as your personal philosophy as a DM. It is when the party goes and says, well, we want to investigate the crime scene, do we notice anything odd? Are you rolling... Have you decided that it is possible for them to fail to notice anything? And if so, then you're going to roll a check, because if it's possible to succeed and it's possible to fail, 
you have someone roll something. There's an investigation skill in 5th edition. That's a perfect one for it. Right. Otherwise, it's a perception check or, you know, something like that. You know, depends on whatever skill you're going to use. Alternatively, if you have decided that this is something that they can't possibly fail to notice, it's something that anybody who was investigating a crime would think to look at, or it's so obvious, um, then you would simply say, as you're poking around the room, you succeed at this. You, you know, you see this detail. And then they can write it down in their little clue notebook. And I think that's, that's what uh, one of the Twitter questions we had was from Eric, uh, who's one of our patrons. And, and I think what he's getting at is, is so, for example, let's say that we're still going to use the same example because we're just running with it. As the DM, when the players come in, when I set the scene, do I just give them details and say, as you walk in the room, you notice shards of glass lying by the window inside the room. You see the body. Uh, he doesn't appear that he moved at all after he was stabbed, so he must have been poisoned. The, you know, the the downstairs door is open from the inside. The, the murderer must have walked out. Like, do you just tell them those types of things as you set the scene because you're giving them the clues by setting the scene, or do you just say there's a body in front of you and allow the characters and players to investigate them? This is more a matter of personal preference than anything, but... I like to give the party as much opportunity to interact with the environment as possible before I give them information. So I will set the basic scene and then, you know, just kind of pause it. You know, you, you walk into the room. This is The guy is laying in his bed. He's still under his sheets, which are stained with blood. And, you know, the window has been broken. And then see what the party does. You know, maybe someone says, well, I'm going to go over and check the body. At which point I'll say, well, he has a single stab wound, and uh, roll a medicine check, or a heal check, or whatever the hell skill we're using. And he'll say, uh, 15. I'll say, you know, and you don't think this wound would have killed him by himself. And then, you know, see what the person, by itself. And you'll see what the person says, and the person says, I'm like, well, can I figure out what killed him? And it's like, well, you know, his lips are discolored, or, or whatever other detail you decide that you just want to use to say, oh, he was poisoned. Or again, you know, if you want to make it harder, you, you ask them to make a roll for that detail too. You know, but you have to decide in your head where it's okay for them to fail. Because at that point you could say roll and they fail, you're not sure. So they know yeah, that there exactly. was something else, but they don't know it was poison. Or you could just so say that's... it's poison, or you could roll for somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they might even guess that it was poison after that, even without the roll. It'd be like, oh, well, you know, maybe he, he, I, I'm guessing it was poison. Because what else would it be? And then, okay, that's fine. You run with that. But, you know, but the, that's two separate questions, though, is whether it's okay to fail and how much you want to ask, let the players interact with the scene. See, the secret is, if you are going to give them the answers, if they're going to walk into the scene and you're going to hand them clues, that's fine because you've decided they can't overlook them. But if they walk into the room and you just hand them a list of clues, then they're not interacting with the game. They're just walking from scene to scene and then watching cutscenes of you telling them how they're investigating. So the way to get around that is to at least let them poke and prod and feel like they're turning up the information. And, and if someone does that all-encompassing, well, I'm just going to look around. Does anything seem out of place? Well, then you can throw it at them if you've decided it's a clue you're going to hand them or have them roll if you've decided it's a clue you're not. Mm -hmm. Jumps in logic. And so what I mean by that is I, I see this happen a lot in the games that I run, and it could be 
again, because I don't run them very well, but I'll have a player that will make sort of a leap in logic and they, they treat it as if it's fact rather than opinion. So in our example, we have someone who was probably hired to murder this guy. He runs away. The bum sees him and has some description. I could very easily see myself or player going, okay, well, this guy's now got money in his pocket. So I'm going to look for the guy who's burning money in the tavern. Okay. That's a complete leap in logic. It makes sense. And it's very possible that that NPC might do that. But that, but at that point, if I haven't already decided that, do I go, okay, that's, that's kind of a cool thing. And I just say that, yeah, okay, you do find somebody who's, who's got money to burn all of a sudden. Or do I like, no, that's nothing. And again, they've wasted hours of time investigating nothing. Because it's not something that I've really decided ahead of time. I don't know myself yet what that NPC might do with that money. Well, you cannot plan everything. And that's, that's I, I mean, I said that right up front. You have to be prepared to improvise. Okay, so at that point, the party has presented you with basically a question, which is, is this guy now running around burning money? And based on everything you know up to this point about the adventure, you're going to have to have an answer. You know, either yes or no. And how you make that decision, again, comes down to your personal philosophy as a DM. Some DMs will always answer yes to any of those questions because they feel like it's rewarding the players for making leaps in logic. I don't, personally. I, act, I sit back and kind of roll it around in my head and try to come up with what I think is the most logical answer based on well, on, honestly, it would take a doctor with rubber gloves and a flashlight to show you where some of these answers come from. <laughs> but ultimately, that's DMing. Right. You're going to have a question. You're going to have to BS an answer. Me, I consider the world and say, no, that doesn't make sense. This guy was a professional, so he's smart enough not to go just burn a ton of money right now. He's going to lay low for a little while. So it's a nice idea, but it doesn't plan Right. doesn't pan out, and they burn a couple hours doing that. You might answer it differently. You might say, yeah, this, you know, this guy was, he, he was down on his luck, and he needed the money, and you know, now he's burning it gambling, and yeah, the party could turn him up. But of course, on any given day in a large enough city, lots and lots of people are burning money. You, know, you, you have alcoholics. You have people with gambling addictions. Yeah. So you're going to get a lot of false positives on that. Yeah. My, my initial thought, just the way I DM, I probably would let them find somebody, and then they would eventually figure out, but this guy doesn't have the skills. There's no way he actually committed the crime. He may be, taking, may be saying that he did, but that might just be part of the cover, and I've, you know, I've now added a level of um, you know, obscurity and, and, and conspiracy to it just because I like to make things overly complicated. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and actually, let me let me jump in there sure. for, first because that actually brings up something um, something really important because we talked about clues, and we talked about leads, and now we can talk about red herrings and dead ends. Okay, these are two things that you use to invent to increase the difficulty of your mystery. A red herring is a clue that leads to the wrong answer. A dead end is a lead that the party runs down and then doesn't get anything from. It doesn't have any leads coming off of it. It doesn't have any clues there. You know, you if you were mapping this out like a dungeon, a dead end would be a room with no other exits. A lead gets them in there somehow, and it doesn't go anywhere. And a red herring is like, it's almost like a cursed piece of treasure. 
it's a clue. It looks like a, a magic, a useful magic item, but at the end of the day, it just gets in the way. Yeah, and I see that like in some of the procedurals to go out of the the dungeon metaphors that uh, like you see that on a, on a procedural, someone will say, check his financials, see if he's got any big purchases or incomes of money, and then like the next scene, someone walks up with a piece of paper and goes, nope, record records were clean. So they kind of cut that out. They they show that someone did it, but this they just kind of hand wave that okay you've done that it didn't really give you anything but you've now like you said you've eliminated that which might still be valuable information so that type of thing as well one of the biggest red herrings that comes up in every procedural is the other suspects because there are always you know two or three suspects and they all look like they could have committed the crime because otherwise they wouldn't be suspects and part of the mystery is not just figuring out the right suspect, but eliminating the wrong suspects. And some mysteries can be easily solved just by process of elimination. If you know there are only three people who could have committed the crime, and you eliminate two of them, then, as Sherlock Holmes said, yeah. when, you know, when you eliminate all the wrong possibilities, whatever remains, however crazy, has to be right. That's a paraphrase, but pretty close. Oh. <laughs> Are you criticizing me here? <laughs> no, not at all. Damn it. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> all right. So um, so red herrings and um, false leads. and that, uh, Again, that's going to yeah. add a level of complexity. It's going to make it – it's going to expand how long. So, like, maybe if you've planned this whole, you know, four-hour game to be this mystery and they got close to solving it in hour one, that might be a way to, to expand it a little bit or add some depth. But we've got past that. So the other question well, – I- Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm going to throw two, two like, rules of thumb in there right now. Okay. Number one, if you plan a mystery that is four hours long, it will take 12 to 16 hours to play it out. <laughs> okay. That is just a rule. Keep it in your head. However long you think the mystery is, it's going to be three times as long to solve it because it is always easier for you to solve it than the players. Sure. And they are going to run down a whole bunch of false leads. I guarantee it, because they're going to be making up their own leads. Mm -hmm. It's what they love to do. Yes. The other rule of thumb is you don't need red herrings and dead ends most of the time because your mystery is already much more complex than you think it is. It always is. And I agree with you there. That that is one of the things that I've recently started doing in my games where I I just freely give information, not even just necessarily mysteries, but I just freely give more information than maybe is obvious to the character to kind of help push the story forward because I've always assumed that my players will pick up on it and they never seem to. So I'm just a little no. bit more generous with things now than I used to be. Yeah, no, and that's that's a completely reasonable thing to do. So as far as red herrings and um, and dead ends, don't use them unless your party is really good at mysteries. And you'll know if they are or not. Yeah. All right. So one of the things I did want to ask about was uh, fifth edition has come up a couple times. Obviously, it's kind of the you know the thing right now. It does have a pared down skill system, so I'm sure it's still possible to run mysteries. But you're saying that this is a, a skill heavy type of game. So would you say fifth edition is going to make it more difficult or maybe less difficult because everybody's kind of good at the same stuff? Like, what's your viewpoint on running a mystery game in say Pathfinder versus Five E? Uh, you, you know what? Uh, I'm going to say honestly, I don't think the system matters as much as it seems to. Even with a pared-down skill list, if be, fifth edition, actually, the smartest thing it does is that it doesn't make things skill rolls. 
you'll notice the basic interaction with the system is an ability check. Mm -hmm. So whatever the party decides to do, they're going to they're going to make an ability check. And then if they happen to have a particular skill, they're going to get a, what what is it a plus 2 bonus for the first 5 levels or something like that, yeah. the proficiency bonus. So while it makes it harder to create experts in things. So you, you may not have the guy who is the face of the party and the guy who is the bad cop and the, the guy who is the expert at magic and the guy who is the expert at religion and whatever. Each of those things really only takes one skill proficiency. And then the rest of the skills are just, you know, because no matter how much you try to focus on running a mystery, if you just run it as a pure mystery... Uh, it's going to get boring eventually. You're always going to want to break things up with an action scene here and there, or you know, you know, or at least you know, have them. You know, one of the clues has to be in a place that maybe they have to break into or infiltrate in some way, or maybe they get into a fight. You know, they're interrogating someone in the bar, and his muscle protects him, so they've got to beat them up. You know, but you just like any other adventure, you want to just vary the scene types a little bit. So I don't think 5th edition is inherently bad for running mysteries. And I will say that one of the neat, neater things in it is each of the backgrounds has sort of a non-combat, non-skill-related bonus-y thing, which is my technical name for <laughs> for it. But, like, you know, the, the sage has that researcher thing, where he knows where to go to look up information or who to ask about information. So basically, he can always create scenes out of thin air to, uh, to get information, which is very useful in solving a mystery. Then you've got the folk hero, who can always find hospitality and safe house and information among the lower classes. And you've got the noble, who can always draw on the resources of the upper classes. And you've got the acolyte, who can go to allied temples and get services, and if you reframe those things very slightly, they become contacts, you know, people you can run down for information, access to scrying magic and things like that, you know, or divination magic. So in that case, it actually does give you some neat tools to work with. That said, I've only just started running 5th edition, so ask me again in four months and I might have a better answer. Okay, I'm, I'm sure we will be ready to talk to you by then, if not if not before, so we have jumped around a little bit. I've I've kind of got us off subject. So ma making sure that we fully hit the mystery thing. Is there anything else? Any tips or tricks or any other have tos that you want to make sure that we get included here before we wrap up? Yeah, let's see. Um, is it okay to fail? Plan out what actually happened beforehand. Draw a map of the major scenes that you want to include. Come up with a list of clues that are going to add up to the solution and plant them in your map. And then let the players run with it. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one, one really important one. Once you've decided that things can fail, you will occasionally reach a point where the party cannot proceed any further in the map. You, you know, they can't go any further. Um, the, basically, the directions they can go in are defined by the leads you have given them. So if you look at your map, and there's any any single point where everything passes through just one lead, you you know that basically that lead, finding that lead, is going to kill your adventure if they don't do it. 
Okay, it's a choke point. Choke point, yeah. Now, that's okay. I'm not going to be one of those people who says never, ever, ever have a choke point in an adventure. There is always going to eventually be that one role that ruins the adventure, or else the adventure can't fail. You know, there's always that possibility. But if it comes really early in the adventure, maybe you want to add some other leads and rejigger things so that, you know, the party doesn't two encounters in fail the adventure and then get cheated out of the adventure and then you sit around twiddling your thumbs for three hours while you run the session clock out. If it comes late in the adventure, then that's okay. Or maybe it's not. You have to make that decision. And the other thing, when you start the adventure, make sure that you give the players three leads. Okay? Three different entrances map, basically. Three, Three entrances to the mystery dungeon. Okay. Okay. So what? What's what's why, why three? Like, what's the reasoning behind the, the three? Because one is obviously too narrow. You, you know, if if they if they can only get into the into the mystery through one door, you've kind of limited their choices. You know what? It, it's more of a matter of of adventure building philosophy. If you think of an adventure, an adventure is a story of decision points of gradually disappearing. Okay, so at the beginning of the adventure, there's a lot of different ways the party could go that will lead to the solution. But as time goes on, as they make decisions, everything sort of narrows down until, you you know, everything sort of focuses in on the end of the adventure, whatever it is. And I'm not just talking about mysteries, you know, it's going to be a dungeon adventure, it's going to be a, you know, um, a wilderness adventure, exploration adventure, whatever it is, you know, as the adventure goes on, the decision points are going to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. So you can think of your adventure as pyramid-shaped. At the beginning, there's a lot of ways the party could go. At the end, the, you know, there's one place where the adventure has to end, the ending of the adventure. If you start your mystery off with only one way in, then you're, you're already kind of stacking the deck against yourself in terms of decision points. Because let's say the party follows that one lead, and from that room, or you know, that scene, whatever it is that is that first lead, they only find one other way out. You know, they don't uncover all three leads there. Well, now they've only got one option, and if they screw that option up, the game is over. Gotcha. If they screw up that one scene that was the only lead in, if they walk into the, the crime scene, and one of them knocks a lantern over and burns down the crime scene before they get any information, the adventure is now over because they didn't have three ways in. And I say three ways because two ways gives them the chance to fail twice. You know, <laughs> two, two. So, you know, the crime scene is obviously one scene you know, for whatever crime scene means. I mean, we're talking about a murder mystery, but it could be anything. You know, if it's not a murder mystery, then the word crime scene is kind of irrelevant, you know, or, or some other crime. Well, going back to our example uh, that we've been playing off of, we've kind of already sort of created that, whether we meant to or not, that, you know, is there something special about the dagger? If we decide that there is, that gives them an avenue to go to the weapons dealer. The fact that they use poison, they could go to someone who uses poison, and the hobo across the street may give them a description. So even in that one, there was already multiple ways that they could have started. Aha, uh-huh, no, no, there was only one lead there. Only one lead went, led into that. They're all, the adventure's already underway. They could only go to the crime scene. 
So what happens if they fail to uncover all three of those leads, or if they only uncover one of those leads at the crime scene? See, you have the crime scene, but you also have a victim, and the victim works at a place, right? Mm -hmm. So they could go to his workplace and talk to the people there. That's lead number two to start the adventure. And, geez, I, I don't know, because um, I don't know enough about what this guy was up to. Right. You know, um, but um, maybe the, the guy has a servant in the house, okay? She's not really a part of the crime scene scene, because that's an investigation scene. There's a scene of interviewing the servant. But those are the things, like, the captain of the guard or whoever hires them tells them right off the bat. It's like, well, you know, this guy, he was killed in the middle of the night, and you could go check him out. We know he worked here at the university, and um, also he's got a servant, and, you know, she lives here, so you can go talk to her. And there you go. Those are your three avenues into the adventure. And you want to spell them out for the party. You don't want to make there any chance of them missing them. Three entrances into the dungeon. Oh, I think that's good. I like it. All right, Caleb, do you have anything uh, for Angry before we uh, close this up? Uh, I think if I did, it would just ruin my uh, my trend here for the, the, the episode, so I'm going to say no. Ruin the mystique, huh? That's right. Yeah, it would ruin the mystique. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Angry, I, as always, I mean, I appreciate it. I read the stuff that you write on the Mad Adventurers blog or whatever that's called now i always click to your links i don't actually know what it's called but your blog the mad adventurers thing i read that and pretty much anytime you're on a podcast i listen to it i think you're great and i appreciate your time tonight well i really appreciate that and uh let me encourage you to go poke around the mad adventurers site madadventurers.com because there's a lot of very talented writers over there well not a lot i mean i think there's there's five five of them but there's all there's a very good group of talented writers i, say, I really hope there's seven again. writers <laughs> just because of the way you said that, because they're going to be going, well, which one's not the good one? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Now I gotta, now I gotta feel bad because I'm not sure that I can actually name them all off the top of my head. I try to read everything that comes out, but you know, I I spend so much time on my own stuff now that I've kind of lost reading blogs and even listening to podcasts. Except of course for this one, I love this one. Of course, yeah. This this is this is the one exception. So I'll, I'll just turn it over to you, Angry. Any last words, anything that you want to uh, either promote or just uh, close us up on? My gaming group is participating in the Extra Life charity this year. So on October 25th, we will be live streaming on my Twitch channel 24 hours of games to raise money for the Children's Miracle Network and the Extra Life charity. I, I would absolutely love it if uh, anybody who had the chance could check out our check out the Extra Life website and donate, or maybe even think about uh, doing your own thing, you know, because you can, you can still sign up and have your own little telethon, video games, board games, role-playing games, whatever you want. So how did you get involved with that? Did, did someone invite you, or is that something you've done before? Actually, okay, last year the, the guys over at NPC Cast did the Extra Life thing, and I hung out in their, basically in their chat for a while, and it looked really cool, and I was jealous and decided I could do it myself. So this year... I convinced my players to, you know, basically let me run games for 24 hours at them. Nice. Now, actually, I uh, I donated to them last year. Um, uh, in, I consider those guys friends of the show as well. They're one of my favorite podcasts. I love NPC Cast, so I, I, I promote them probably more than they do. But yes, yeah, because I knew about that through <laughs> them, but I, I didn't know that you were involved in it last year, so I didn't know how that happened. Yeah, I wasn't involved anything in anything more than an audience capacity, but 
but it was a lot of fun. Oh, I did actually get told to shut up. Uh, on camera by Jason Ballman, uh, lead designer of Pathfinder. And he's, he said that I can quote him if I ever write a book. That's my cover. I, I, that should be on a T-shirt. I mean, I know I see you're wearing your angry shirt, but your other shirt should be I was told to shut up by and then have his credits. Thank, thank you for revealing to the world that I sit around at home <laughs> at night in T-shirts bearing my own logo. Um I'm like Batman. I'm doing, oh, okay. I'm doing the same well, thing. For so. those of you at home... Michael is wearing an RPG Academy T-shirt. Yeah, so <laughs> it's it's a thing. All right, well, which it, looks almost as good as mine. Yeah, it's a bit faded. This is the first one I bought, so it, it probably needs revamped. Yeah, this one's faded too. This is like two years old now. Caleb's wearing all black, so he he's like blends into the shadows. He he's the actual Batman of this group. Well, he he is maintaining the mystique yet again. <laughs> I'll I'll be honest. My default. Clothing is a black t-shirt and khakis. <laughs> At least you don't have to sit around and have that decision about what am I wearing. <laughs> exactly. Today. That's one less thing you got to worry about every single day. Half of my closet is black t-shirts, which my, <laughs> it's pretty easy to wake up in the morning. Uh, but I threw in there, so if you'll send me the links uh, just to make sure I get them right, I'll pretty much link to your blog, to the Mad Adventurers site, uh, your Twitch channel, everything. And I'll probably come up with a few bucks I can throw it your way because I, I did NPC cast last year. I can do you this year uh, and spread the, spread the wealth around a little bit. Yep, definitely. And re- read the website because we've got a couple of challenges going on. So um, there might be an all-barred adventure if you uh, play your cards right. Ooh, an all-barred adventure. Uh, pretty much isn't that just going to end with you beating everyone at the table unconscious? Nope, the rules are I'm not allowed to do that. Oh. <laughs> so I actually will have to suffer through all barred adventure if people don't make the right way. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that, that definitely might be worth throwing some money at. You can give us feedback and comments on our website, therpgacademy.com. You can listen to previous podcasts on our website and subscribe to new ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a table topic, we'd love to hear it. Email us at podcast at therpgacademy.com or connect with us. We're on Twitter at The RPG Academy. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash The RPG Academy. We also have a Google Plus page, The RPG Academy. As always, thanks for listening. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.